Welcome to Words of Grace, radio ministry of Elder Ben Winslet, pastor of the Flint River Primitive Baptist Church near Huntsville, Alabama. We invite you to stay tuned to today's broadcast.
This time of year to many, if not most Christians, is a time of year that is very special to us because this is a period of each year in which we think about the advent of our Lord Jesus Christ, the incarnation of our Lord Jesus Christ into the world. The Son of David came into the world, born a Savior, the Christ and the Lord. Over the next two broadcasts, I want to share with you a message that I delivered last December at Flint River Primitive Baptist Church entitled, The Terms of Christ's Coming. In this first message, what we will do is consider from the Old Testament various terms that describe the coming Messiah. He was the seed of the woman that would bruise the head of the serpent. He was Shiloh that should come. He was that prophet of which Moses spoke that God would raise up like unto him in Deuteronomy 18. Throughout this particular message over the next two weeks, we'll hear some of these great terms for the Lord Jesus Christ throughout the Old and the New Testament. Here is today's message, part one of the terms of Christ's coming. Again, it's good to see you this morning. We're so very thankful that you're here, thankful that we have the opportunity to gather and to worship on a day that we set aside to remember the incarnation, the coming of our Lord into the world. As we often point out, when we talk about the incarnation, we don't know the specific day that Jesus was born with biblical certainty because the Bible doesn't tell us the day that Jesus was born into the world, but it does tell us that Jesus was born into the world. And Even though we don't know the specific day, this is a day where traditionally this has been thought about. Even though we don't know the day, it doesn't mean that the coming of Christ isn't something that we should think about and talk about. In fact, I believe that the coming of Christ into the world is one of the most important concepts, New and Old Testament concepts, for us to dwell on and talk about because the incarnation, God being incarnate as a man, everything that we hope for regarding salvation hinges upon the incarnation. If Jesus was just any man, if he was just any human being, and he died upon a cross, then his death was nothing more than any other human being that has ever died upon a cross or died at all. But because God was incarnate and lived a perfect life as a man, completely God, as we've talked about in this little series together, but also completely man. He went to the cross being a perfect man. He gave up the ghost. He died for us upon the cross. And because that perfect God-man died for us, we don't have to fear death, but there is now peace, reconciliation between human beings and God because God became a man. And so... Never let anybody discourage you from thinking about the Incarnation. And if you celebrate that on December 25th, then you just think about the Lord Jesus Christ on that day. If you choose not to, and you say, well, I think about the Lord Jesus and His coming and His death and His resurrection every Sunday, then by all means, think about it every Sunday. Certainly, we try to fit it into nearly every one of our sermons. But it's something that I'm thankful that we have the privilege of thinking about to a little greater degree at this time of year. I've entitled my thoughts this morning, The Terms of Christ's Coming. The Terms of Christ's Coming. And as we get to that specific point, that'll be the latter portion of today's message. 
as we think about the terms of Christ coming, rather than looking at what you might be interpreting that as, as some sort of a terms of a legal contract, we're going to rather look at the descriptive words that are used regarding Christ's coming. What sort of a first advent was this coming of Christ into the world and what that brings in our lives, what God has accomplished by sending His Son into the world. And these simple little words that are connected with the coming of Christ, I think, paint a beautiful picture for us. But the first thing that we want to consider today is that the birth of the Messiah or the Christ was an expected thing. Now, from the New Testament, as people began to learn of the coming of Christ, Mary and Joseph and Elizabeth, the concept that's relayed to them, the facts that are relayed to them is that this Messiah, this Christ, this anointed, this Savior that has been foretold from the beginning of creation, he has now come. And to Mary, it was, you're going to have a baby. This baby is the Christ. He's the son of the highest. He's the son of God. He's divine. But at the same time, he's the son of David. He's a human being. You have the deity, the divinity, and the humanity of Christ conveyed in the angel's proclamation, Gabriel's proclamation to Mary. And conveyed to her is that what is happening in your life is the fulfillment of all of these prophecies that God has been giving from the very beginning of time that he would send a Savior into the world. And so this is an expected thing. The shepherds, the angels come and they talk to them. And they go and they learn. They go to the place where Christ was prophesied to be born. These angels send them there. They behold the Christ and they go and they tell everybody. The wise men that come to a young Jesus Christ. We don't know at what period they arrived. Probably it took them a year or two to make their journey and to arrive where Jesus was. But as they arrive, they know that he is going to come into the world because they've seen his star. And they're wise men who, from the East, have been told through word of mouth from generation to generation because Israel spent time in their place in captivity that the Christ was going to be born. And so when the Christ is born, they discern in some sense in the heavens that the Christ has been born, and here they show up. And then they begin digging into Scripture. Where is he at? Where is he going to be born? And the scholars, the priests, the scribes begin digging into the Old Testament, and they find that Christ would be born in Bethlehem. And so they go look for him in Bethlehem. All of this is because Throughout human history, God had been saying, I am sending a Savior to bring the remedy for your sinfulness. For the sinfulness of God's people was Christ born into the world, as the angel himself said to Joseph, as we looked at last week, Thou shalt call his name Jesus, for what? For he shall save his people from their sins. And so throughout human history, this story is repeated over and over This prophecy is given, and various details of his life are revealed, but this overall theme is repeated that God is going to send the Messiah, the Christ, the anointed, and this happens as Jesus is incarnate. The Word of God, God's eternal Son, is incarnate, born of a virgin into the world, lived a completely perfect life, no sin, no error, no guile was found in his mouth. He was a completely righteous and perfect man who kept God's law to a jot and a tittle to the smallest degree, and he went to the cross and he died as if he were guilty 
because God had laid iniquity on him. He had no iniquity of his own, but God gives him our iniquity and he dies for that as if he had committed the very sins that we've spent our lives committing. And in that moment, upon the cross, Jesus forever and fully took away our sins. And none of that can happen without the incarnation. Everything that we love, that we rejoice in, that we have peace in, is because God became a human being. Now, I'm sure some of us have had the experience in our life when something happens, when we need something done, and and you moms and dads are probably this way. Let's say you need the stairs vacuumed, and you know that if little Johnny vacuums it, there's probably still going to be popcorn from a month and a half ago in one of the cracks in the stairs. And you're just like, if I want it done right, I'm going to finish the sentence. I'm going to do it myself. The only way for salvation to happen is for God to do it himself. And so God becomes a man. God comes into this world as a human being, the second person of the Godhead. He is born of a virgin. He lives a completely perfect life. And then he does it himself. He brought salvation through dying for us on the cross. He's our high priest. He's the one that offered the sacrifice. He is also the Lamb of God, the sacrifice that was offered. Jesus dies upon the cross. He died upon the cross for his people, and he saved them from their sins. And again, this is something that had been foretold of from the very beginning of the world. So we want to look at the expected birth of the Messiah or the Christ from Scripture, the Old Testament. And this is going to be a rocket speed survey because... Each individual passage that we're going to look at could be a sermon. While there are well over 300 prophecies of Christ in the Old Testament, we're going to consider just a few regarding His incarnation, His birth, the fact that a Christ was coming, a Messiah was going to be sent, a Savior was going to come into the world. Again, over 300 prophecies in the Old Testament of Christ coming. You have where He grew up. You have that he would spend time in Egypt before going to where he grew up. You have the family line that he would come from. You have parts of his personality. You have the fact that he was a suffering servant. Isaiah 53, you can preach entire series from Isaiah 53 over and over and over. The fact that he would be crucified. The fact that his hands and his feet would be pierced. The fact that they would gamble over his garments. I could spend hours burying you in details from the Old Testament about the life of Christ. But we want to look at a few prophecies regarding his birth. First of all, in the book of Genesis, chapter 3. Now, this is one of my favorite prophecies to consider. We already sang the words of this particular verse today as we sang, I believe, Hark the Herald Angels Sing. Genesis chapter 3. What's notable about Genesis chapter 3? Genesis chapter 3 contains the fall of humanity from perfection to sin. Now, to be very clear, Adam and his wife, they are natural people. They are not spiritual people. That's important to know because it's important to emphasize that Adam, though he died a death in trespasses and in sins, and this was a death with spiritual consequences... He was a natural man who was upright, who would violate God's law and become a natural man that is fallen. You and I, when we are conceived and born into the world, we come into the world as Adam multiplied. We are Adam 
fallen natural men. At the new birth, you have a birth from another source. You become a spiritual man. You are a new creature in Christ Jesus. You are born again. Adam, prior to the fall, was an upright natural man. And after the fall, he is a fallen natural man. He's a natural creation made in God's image. But I want to be clear that there's a distinction between post-new birth you and pre-fall Adam. Adam is an upright natural man who is, in a sense, innocent. He does not have the knowledge of good and evil. After the new birth, though we are sinners, we are spiritual, we have the laws of God written on our heart, in our mind, and at glorification, at the resurrection, we are fully conformed to God's image, to Christ's image. We are better after glorification than Adam was before sin because we are spiritual and conformed to Christ. Adam here before sinning is an upright natural man made in God's image. So I want to theologically paint that distinction for you. There is a difference in Adam before sin and humans who are saved after the resurrection. There is a difference. But Adam is an upright natural man. He has no sin. He is perfect and upright and he sins. He takes a fruit that God said, do not eat of it. And the day you eat of this, you will die. And the Hebrew could be rendered there. If you have a center reference column in your Bible, it might give the alternate translation, dying thou shalt die. And certainly that's the case. There was a death that happened to Adam the moment that he ate of that tree. And yet, in a physical sense, it took him nearly a millennia to finally physically die. There was a death he experienced at that moment, and then throughout the rest of his life, he progressed on to the point that he would physically die. By the way, it was a mercy of God that he lived beyond the moment that that food touched his lips because God had every right in that moment to strike him from existence. At the moment, in the day that Adam sinned and violated God's law, God shows up in the Garden of Eden. Now, anytime God shows up, in the Bible, walks with people and talks with people, please understand that is Jesus Christ. In the Old Testament, they are pre-incarnate manifestations of Jesus. We call these theophanies. In the New Testament, he literally is incarnate and dwells among us. But when God is personally there, it is Christ. Adam sins and God shows up. Adam and Eve hear God and Adam and Eve hide. He says, Adam, where art thou? Does God know where Adam is? Absolutely he does. But God asked that question, so Adam would have to answer it. God is in, he's omniscient. He knows everything. But sometimes God will ask questions so other people have the opportunity to hear the answer, including the one who's answering the question. Where art thou? Well, I'm, I'm hiding. Why? Well, I was naked and I was, I was afraid and and ashamed. Well, who told you you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree I commanded you not to eat of? Well, the woman you gave me gave me the food, and and she, she made me eat. He's blaming his wife. Don't blame other people for the things that we all do wrong. If I do wrong, whose fault is it? It's my fault. Now, even if I'm led to or somebody put a stumbling block before me, ultimately, I am responsible for my actions. Young people, listen to that. You are responsible for your actions, not somebody else, not mom and dad, not somebody that tricked you to come along. You are responsible for your actions. 
Adam says, you gave me this woman, she made me eat it. She gives him the food, he eats, God shows up, God questions. God begins to give the curses. You're going to eat by the sweat of your face. Life is going to be hard, Adam. It's going to be easy before. Now it's going to be hard. It was a paradise. Now it's cursed. It brings forth thorns and thistles naturally. If there's something you don't want to grow in your yard, it's going to pop up. And it's hard to grow the things that you want in your yard. Whether it be, you know, Bermuda grass is a curse in a garden, and I can't get it to grow in my front yard. It'll literally grow where the corn's growing and not my front yard. Why? Explain that to me, atheists. Tell me why nothing works like you want it to work. You get something you don't want, which you might want over here, growing over there. And why is this so? Because we live in a cursed world. We live in a cursed earth. As God speaks, he tells Eve that she's going to bear children in sorrow. Her desire will be to her husband. And then he talks to that old serpent, the devil, who beguiled Eve. Now, she was beguiled, but Adam was not. He was willing in that transgression. He says, I will put enmity between thee and the woman, between thy seed and her seed. Now, to be very clear, this doesn't mean that the devil has an eternal people like God has a people, nor does it mean that they are somehow begotten of him the same way we are begotten of God. But there are people in the world that belong to that wicked one. What did Jesus say in John chapter 8 to a group of unbelieving Jews? You are of your father the devil. You're of your father the devil. I will put enmity between thee and the woman, speaking to Satan, between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head, thou shalt bruise his heel. This is not teaching that human beings will step on snakes and snakes will bite humans in the feet. Far deeper meaning to this passage. In the Bible, especially in ancient culture, particularly among a Jewish cultural perspective, you just turn to Chronicles and you read Chronicles. And the genealogy always goes through the man. But this is the seed of the woman that shall bruise the head of the serpent. God is not teaching that men will step on snakes and hurt snakes' heads and snakes will bite men in the heel and hurt men's heels. This is literally teaching that a woman would have a seed. The seed of the woman will destroy the wicked one that tempted humanity at the beginning of time. It's far more in this passage than people realize. There's enmity between Satan and the woman. The seed of the woman shall bruise the head of Satan. All the way back in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15, there is a prophecy of the virgin birth. Because in every other instance of genealogy in the Bible, this genealogy goes through the male, the seed of a man, Abraham's seed, his offspring. And yet here it is the seed of the woman. Because this is a prophecy of the virgin birth. It's a prophecy of Christ coming into the world. It's a prophecy of Christ crushing the head of our enemy that caused all of the problems humanity has ever experienced because Satan is a liar and a murderer from the beginning. He murdered humankind through tempting, after his rebellion to God, through tempting humans to sin. And he has conspired against us and persecuted us from the very beginning. It only got worse after this. Think about this for a moment. When... Humanity falls into sin. 
God shows up and God promises redemption. That's what's happening here. The woman, which is Mary in this prophecy, is going to have an offspring. Her seed is going to bruise the head of our enemy. From the very beginning of time, God has been expressing that a Messiah was going to come. Genesis chapter 49, give you another prophecy. This is Jacob's dying blessing to Judah. Now, why is Judah significant? Judah is significant because Jesus is of Judah. Jesus was born of the tribe of Judah. Jesus is a priest, but priests are Levites. Jesus is a priest out of the order of Melchizedek. And so when Jacob is an aged man, Israel who walked with God, Judah, thou art he whom thy brethren shall praise. Thy hand shall be in the neck of thine enemies. Thy father's children shall bow down before thee. Judah is a lion's whelp. Now, if Judah's a lion cub, where's the daddy lion? What is one of Jesus' titles in the New Testament? Jesus is the lion of the tribe of Judah. Judah is a lion's whelp from the prey, my son, thou art gone up. He stooped down, he couched as a lion, and as an old lion, who shall rouse him up? Listen to this. The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet until Shiloh come. Who is Shiloh? Well, it was a place name, but this word Shiloh means tranquility. And literally, Jacob on his dying bed is prophesying of the coming of Jesus into the world. The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet until Shiloh come. Judah was the last remaining tribe of Israel that had any sort of political authority. The scepter shall not depart. A scepter is is an emblem of political authority. What does a king hold in his hand? A scepter. A scepter shall not depart from Judah until Shiloh come, and unto him shall the gathering of the people be. What this is teaching is that Jesus takes the authority that Judah had, and now Jesus reigns. Now Jesus has authority. By the way, the book of Hebrews, quoting from, I believe the Psalms, says that his scepter, the scepter of his kingdom, is a scepter of righteousness. What is the authority, political authority, if you will, of Jesus' kingdom? Righteousness. The scepter of righteousness. He is a righteous judge, a righteous king, a righteous lawgiver, a righteous ruler. And unto the Shiloh, which is Jesus, tranquility, peace, shall the gathering of the people be. By the way, notice verse 11. Binding his foal under the vine and his ass's colt under the choice vine. What did Jesus ride into Jerusalem on, on Palm Sunday? The colt, the foal of an ass, a donkey. He washed his garments in wine and his clothes in the blood of grapes. What does wine look like? Prophesying of his crucifixion. He washed his garments in wine and his clothes in the blood of grapes. What does Jesus give us to symbolize his blood at the communion service? Gives us a cup of wine. His eyes shall be red with wine, his teeth white like milk. Genesis 49, as Jacob lays dying, he gives a prophecy of the coming of Shiloh. Peace. Deuteronomy chapter 18. Moses speaking here to the people of Israel. So Jacob, pretty important figure, talks about it. God himself to Adam and Eve in the garden. The Messiah is coming. Salvation is coming. Moses says to Israel, The Lord thy God will raise up unto thee a prophet from the midst of thee, of thy brethren, like unto me, unto him shall ye hearken. Deuteronomy eighteen fifteen. Skip down to verse 18. I will raise them up a prophet from among their brethren, like unto thee, 
and will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak unto them all that I shall command them. And it shall come to pass that whosoever will not hearken unto my words, which he shall speak in my name, I will require it of him. And so in this prophecy, Moses and God speaking through Moses says, I'm sending a prophet into the world. He's going to be like Moses. What sort of a prophet was Moses? Well, Moses delivered the law. He gave the Ten Commandments and the rest of the law. What does Jesus do for us? He writes his law upon the fleshy tables of our heart. His laws upon our hearts and our minds, our inward parts. Moses redeemed in that Moses led Israel out of Egyptian bondage. In the New Testament, Egypt is a picture of sin that we have been rescued from, from which we've been rescued through Christ. Moses delivers from Egypt. Jesus delivers from sin. Moses ushers in the details of a covenant specified in the law. Christ ushers in a covenant. This is the new covenant, the New Testament in my blood. If you enjoy the messages you hear on Words of Grace, consider this your invitation to visit a Primitive Baptist Church in your community. Address your correspondence to Words of Grace Radio, 641 Moontown Road, Brownsboro, Alabama, 35741. Or visit us online at flintriverpbc.org.